Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean DeBias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Ian Ginsberg, the third-generation president of the oldest apocryphy in the United States, C.O. Bigelow. Many of you have heard of it. What you don't know is it started way back in 1838. That's right, the 1800s. Um, but uh, a better story about more modern day over the last couple of decades, Ian has brought the business into the 21st century, rebooting it from a historic New York City landmark store and expanding it more into personal care products, driving the next generation of e-commerce, and quite frankly, I think creating a much larger global brand and global presence. So Ian, it's great to see you today. Your company, um, it's just amazing how your by, by your your company and your brand you just survived like a couple world wars, the Great Depression. Most of us weren't around for that. Um, now a global pandemic and lockdown, which has really killed a lot of small retail. Um, I don't put you in the small category anymore, but um, you know the the pandemic has been a serious jolt to uh, many industries, and everybody wants to know what you know. What's your secret? Is it because you're a musician? You just kind of flow with the go with the flow, or we just, what's the deal? <laughs> we, we just take we ride the wave as it goes. I mean, what's the secret? I mean, we we uh, we it, we survived all these things, and we know deep in our heart that we're going to figure out a way to survive this. But I think um, we have an emotional connection with people, and because we're pharmacists at the core, we kind of believe we have to be there to make sure that everybody else is okay. And not a day goes by even now, because we've been open every single day on the retail side, that someone doesn't walk in and say to me, say to us, you know, when when things are really bad and I walk in and I see all the familiar faces, it just, it, it reminds me that everything's, uh, you know, going to be okay. Wow, that, that's pretty, that that's them. powerful. Yeah. So you deemed yourself essential right away, didn't even close to reorganize and get plexiglass and all that stuff going. <laughs> No, I mean we're you know we're 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 a busy wow. pharmacy and, we, and so no, but the people here they most of the people here have been here for a long time. They were here during nine eleven and they just rolled up their sleeves and they just did whatever they had to do to get done. It's uh, we're we're very lucky. I love it. My uh, my mom used to uh, bring us there, gosh, in the sixties. I guess when your dad <laughs> ran the store and it was just yep. I kind of remember. I probably didn't appreciate it, but I think you had a soda fountain there, so I did. Um, you did. But it was like it was almost like doing the Disney World, but in New York. It's like there's the store. Here we are. We'd have to get dressed we, up, I think, because we'd go into the city, of course, from the burbs. <laughs> yeah, going to the city. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Uh, what's it? What's the store like today? Um, so the store is an interior landmark. So everything and this building that we're in was built in 1902. So when you step inside, everything that looks real is real. The ceiling is the original ceiling and with gold bees in it and. Um, uh, the tile floor is the original tile floor. All the woodwork is the original woodwork. Um, so wow. you feel you're stepping inside a time warp. Uh, when we took out the fountain in 84, we we, we expanded the store to its original uh, space. And it's just uh, when you walk inside, you just feel differently. Um, Most people don't so, know what a fountain is, but that's actually where you serve soda, not not a fountain that's like spewing water into the sky. Yeah, you sat on little bar stools and you'd get a hamburger and an egg cream or an ice cream soda. We used to serve Lewis Sherry ice cream. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, they didn't really. They had like a floating menu. Whatever they felt like making that day was what was on the was on the menu. But it was amazing. Wow, I could use a little time warp right now. Actually, how do you? Yeah. Um, a little boring, but how do you kind of run the business? It's 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 listening to you. It seems like you've got a retail side now, a distribution side. This is not your father's uh, Bigelow. 
No, no. So we uh, there's a couple of different pieces to it. We have the retail business and with a functioning pharmacy, and that's a whole work in itself, uh, an e-commerce site. And then we have another company uh, called Bigelow Trading that imports and distributes a number of other brands that are, for obvious reasons, we're fascinated with um, other families. So we represent families from Europe who have these multi-generational heritage brands, and they also act as the sales and marketing arm for our own Bigelow brand. Um, and then we do hotel amenities and we do, you know, restaurants and, uh, a whole variety of stuff. But, um, even though we're all kind of separate components, it's one big family. So we all work together. Yeah. Having been on a lot of family, uh, enterprise boards, actually I'm still on two. Um, I can really appreciate that. It's a, uh, it's an art to be able to pull that off and, um, but back to your secrets, um, the experience in store, amazing, uh, your culture, let's get to that in a second. How do you, can you, I guess is a better question, replicate that amazing experience, that it, your in-store experience? Can you, can you replicate that online? Um, we try to do it online. I mean, it's, it's harder and harder now because basically if you boil down most websites, it's a top nav and a side nav and a bunch yeah. of stuff on the screen. Um, and the guy with the cheapest price or the biggest, best loyalty program wins. So we try to, um, you know, we try to replicate what we do in store, which is, uh, you know, a, you step in store, it's a collection of our favorite things as well as our own things. And so we try to, you know, maybe a third of the people coming to buy our stuff, a third are buying our stuff, plus something else that we, that we are really passionate about. And then we're still always on the hunt for the greatest products from around the world. And I think the bottom third are looking for all these things that we pay attention to that big guys say, ah, we don't want to bother. Um, but we try, we, we hope that when you step inside the website and then, you know, it's a, it, that's a little more challenging that you, you, you feel, you, you trust us, you feel we're authentic and you you trust that the things that we're offering and the stories we're telling about them are really great. And it's something you really want to grab. Right. Uh, and how many, how many products are you selling now roughly? So on the website, I think we have close to 10,000 SKUs, uh, all in all. Um, and that's a man, you know, that's a job to manage. Um, it's amazing. But, yeah, um, yeah. We want to replicate. So we, we, in the beginning we had less, but then people said, well, I can buy it in the store. How come I can't buy it online? And so we, it's, it's now become almost the same. Or, or vice versa, more online yeah. than in store sometimes. The, um, so it's always a big, uh, big challenge. Uh, Revive is a um, health and beauty uh, uh, tech company, but they have an index where they monitor all of the traffic about what people are looking for by country in products. And during the pandemic, uh, it's been, there's been a massive shift, uh, which we can talk about from cosmetics to skincare, but certain drill downs of skincare are up anywhere from 200 to 400% issues that people are having with their face because they're zooming so much or they're looking at each other so much, or they don't care about makeup anymore and they're not wearing it. But just, you know, everything is just off the charts. And, um, you know, obviously it's been overreported about the spiking in retail, but what do you experience in this this um, let's just call it 2020 for now. The shift towards more health and wellness and uh, related products. Yeah, so I um, so I th you're 100 percent correct on the cosmetic side. So people are buying a lot less makeup because they're not wearing. Yeah, makeup. I'm not. I'm not using lipstick right now. <laughs> yeah, I, we have a big lip gloss business. Of course, that's not you know as accelerating as it, as it was, but um. A couple things are going on. People are spending a lot more time at home. They have a lot more time to do things for themselves. So you'll see a lot more masks and treatment things that require time, hair treatments, facial treatments, body treatments. Um, people are more concerned about skincare. So they want to get their skin. You know, they have time to do it and they have to do it because they're in front of a TV screen. Um, skincare things about mask me. 
uh, a lot of sanit- you know sanitizing. So hand washes. We make a lot of hand wash, hand wash, body wash. I think I think with what limited money, even though they you know people people's budgets are down, they're using those. Uh, they're spending they're spending less, but they have a little more money to spend on things that they're going to do at home. So I I think. Um, you know, maybe they'll spend a little more. Uh, we're starting to see home fragrance, so people are putting, you know, put, blow, burning more candles at home, more diffusers at home, um, face masks, hair masks, hair treatments. Maybe trying things that they didn't that they didn't try before because they have the time to do it. Um, right. So you're, you're absolutely right. But there's and a lot the, more competition. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the whole um, wearing a mask makes people want to do more mask treatments, but uh, different different kind of masks there. The how do you approach this? Um, I was going to ask just your, how, what's your been your growth and innovation strategy back to the point when you really, I think it was back to the 80s when you got into your own lines of products. So now you've got your own versus sourcing other companies, both indie brands, family brands, maybe some large brands too, um, depending on you know what their unique qualities are. But based on the data you just threw out, have you shifted a lot of your, your, your whatever you want to call it, your own brand, your private label stuff in terms of what you're going to develop next? Um. Yeah. So, so yes. Yeah, so we, we, we had stuff in development before, um, at our, you know, at our core, you know, we're very concerned about our brand and our brand We're authentic apothecary ingredients at active levels. Um, you wouldn't expect us to have something super scientific cause I don't know if it fits, but we are looking, um, we have been in skincare, we have been in body care, but we're looking at more treatment oriented things. We're, we're not a clean brand necessarily, but we're starting to look at more, uh, cleaner ways of looking at things in new capsules. You know, it's it, this was a time to sit back and reflect and say, "Hey, what's happening in the future?" Because there has been, even though I wasn't a, I wasn't, you know, gung ho on the clean craze. There's been a lot of more activity. A lot of people are talking about it now. Um, we we do think there's a place for us in ingestibles because I think that that's that's a category we can own, and so we are we're we're looking at that too. But but you know, we're we're an indie brand that's not PE backed, and so we we take our you know we take our time. Um, but we do have a bunch of things in development that are more healthy, like um, maybe cleaner ingredients, not cl- not 100% clean, um, but more uh, experiential. Uh, yeah. you know, although I hate that word, but more more experiential uh, products. I mean, we want to be part of people's daily lives, and we uh, but we we also want to be you know make people have some fun too. Yeah, experiential is kind of a hollow term, but it, it just points out that it's missing everywhere else. Um, we right. could make, uh, I mean, just, well, just sticking with the, the product side, I, I think that's that's pretty brilliant. We've, um, there is so, there's so much noise, you know, that we call it the beauty jungle out there. Uh, but the clean and green and this and that, um, um, there's not a lot of label restrictions. So a lot of people want to put stuff like that on their package, but it's not necessarily the best. And sometimes it doesn't have to be completely clean and green just taking out a few ingredients helps but we've had other brands on where it's just it's extreme and uh, certain some retailers are you know they got their dirty list they don't want any ingredients that are, are you know not you know approved but at the same time mass market um you know they, they've had a hard time kind of adapting to that trend because I, I just think at some level it doesn't scale that well. I mean, just the, the amount of volume of products if you walk into a Walmart or a, a Target is it's overwhelming, or even your website. I mean, to have ten to have ten thousand in the unique category is is pretty pretty out there. It's a lot, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, with clean. I'm pretty outspoken on the clean movement. I, I, I yeah. I'm involved politically. You know, there's some ironies there because yeah. most of us uh, are developing for Europe. 
Yep. So we, there's a lot of noise about the Europe list and the American list. It doesn't matter because anybody who's meaningful is, is we're developing to Europe anyway. Should they change some of the regulations here? Absolutely. A lot of these lists they keep talking about, Europe has 1,300 banned ingredients and we only banned 20. Probably 1,150 of those ingredients are things you would never put in a cosmetic anyway. Petroleum's on that list. Gasoline's <laughs> on that list. And so there's a lot of fear-mongering, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of these indie brands that are screaming about how clean they are could never pass the stability test necessary to sell in Europe. So there's a, there's, there's, there's a balance yeah. there of, of being clean. And also, um, when you talk about masks, you know, masks, I, there's plenty of products that are trying to get cleaner, but I don't, I don't know if the consumer really knows the cost that, you know, the, the cost that, that the, the expense that it's costing them to have an organic, if I have a cucumber extract in my product and you have an organic cucumber extract, by the time that cucumber gets in that product, does it really matter if it's organic or it's not organic? And what cost, how much did it cost to get it organic to get it in the product? You know, you're talking about small percentages of things. So it's, 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 there's a lot of, um, the hysteria has surpassed the science yep. and um, the fear, the, the, you know, there's a lot of fear out there for people. Um, but, you know, no doubt we needed a little shakeup. Um, but a lot of, you know, some of these things aren't as dangerous as they're making them seem or as harmful as they make them seem, you know, parabens being one of them. Um, right. right. Yeah. It's not like it was, um, you know, arsenic or asbestos or <laughs> something awful. Arsenic but and it, strychnine are on the European list. Yes. Exactly. Uh, the, um, brings up a funny, um, not funny, but just like it, just because something's clean, actually makes it less green because it takes so much more energy just to manufacture that little bit and make it or, or whatever, all that, all that stuff. So, and, and it, I think, um, some of your ingredients are still on the original lists from the 1800s. I mean, some of yours are, were pure in the first place. Yeah. So we, you know, people, it's, it's like funny as pharmacists, people say to us, do you guys, are you guys compounding pharmacists? And I was like, <laughs> We've been combating for 180 years. So get the, get, my, like, who us? No, I'm just... Uh... No, no. I mean, we're, I was born and raised with a mortar and pestle in my head. Um, but we, uh, yes, yeah, some of our products were actual. We have all these recipe books that go back uh, 150 to 180 years. And um, yeah. I've always, as a pharmacist myself, I go through the recipes and I try to find in, uh, products that are, you know, uh, products and concepts and ideas. And some of our products are exact formulas. And, you know, some ingredients you can't use anymore. Some aren't available. But but one of our best-selling products is our lemon body cream, which is, you know, pretty close to how it was developed then. Um, and it was, you know, it was clean. You got to add some preservatives. You got to add some things in it now to make it, you know, so you don't grow any nasty things in there. But um, we try to do our best. So there's a lot of products like that. We we make we do make surfactant cleansers, you know, with with you know uh, sulfates. But we also make um, you know surfactant cleanser, you know, non-surfactant cleansers from the 1800s. Yeah. Uh, it's fun. It's amazing. Let's talk about the uh, retail experience. Yours being, you know, extremely unique. Um, your online business, massive, um, global. Um, why is it that most retail, let's just talk about mass retail. You and I use it a lot. Um, why, why do they have such a hard time replicating a, let's just call it what, you know, a good experience. Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be like magical, like maybe like your store. But um, it seems like that's all been lost. And obviously in the pandemic that everything's been lost. It's like you, there's, most restaurants aren't magical experiences anymore. It's too much, you know, there's plexiglass and things like that. So pandemic aside, it's like mass scale and um, authenticity just don't seem to go together that well. Any, no, any I mean, thoughts? 
I mean, I, I travel around the world and I love, I love, I love shopping when I'm traveling and to me, it's an emotional experience. There's the stores I love to go to aren't, aren't necessarily where I buy the most things. It's where I feel the best, you know, I feel good there. I learn something I like. And so it's an, it's an emotional experience. And I think lots of people take the emotion out of shopping now to them. It's an empty box place where you just go in and how many empty boxes can we give the person to leave? And uh, when they thought they lost the experience, maybe not the mass stores, they they thought experience was just putting up digital screens and having strobe lights and loud music. And to me, you know, and touch screens, you know, and, I, and I've heard you talked about the hardware overload, you know, yeah, this is the, the hardware hangover. Yeah. Hangover. Yeah. We're, we're going to build an experiential environment. We're just going to put up a lot of touch screens so people can touch stuff instead of just having, you know, one-on-one human contact. And, and, um, I still believe that there's a people want a place where you can put your phone in your pocket and just be in the moment, talk to somebody, learn something, be touched. Well, not, not, not be touched anymore, but, um, just learn something and be able to talk to people on a human level. And, um, it's more expensive to do it. Um, but I think that, uh, I think it does pay off in spades. Um, having somebody, you know, having, creating a place where people want to go and not need to go is the difference between, uh, you know, good and bad retail. Yeah, um, exactly. What uh, those of you that are listening, the, the, the hardware hangover he re- referred to is a lot of retailers did put in all that equipment. And now it's like you can only look at that stuff, not touching anymore. And they invest a lot in touching. And so what we're seeing now is a resurgence of using your phone in store, which is kind of anti experience to what you just talked about. But right. somewhere in there, there's a bridge and you can also use, you know, bring your own technology and use it while you're talking with someone. And they, they can actually use it to push things to you that you know, like sampling, sampling of products and stuff like that. Right. So there might be some some help there where tech can um, maybe make it more personalized. So a couple of trends are, you know, personalization. What are your thoughts on personalization? But, you know, let's just start with skincare. Um, I think that uh, I love what I'm seeing uh, with all these indie brands trying to do that. I don't know if you can scale that. And I don't know, um, exactly. I know what, what goes into developing a product and how much testing and how much stability testing and, and pet challenge testing and patch testing goes in. You can't just do that and give somebody a product and not, and <laughs> um, without, you know, so I don't know how they're doing it. Um, I suspect maybe there's not a lot of things going in there. You know, I don't really know, but it's, it, there's, there's an idea there somewhere and event, eventually someone will figure it out. But, um, all of us who produce products that are sold to lots of people do a tremendous amount of testing to make sure a, we don't harm people to make sure the product doesn't fall to pieces and to make sure it's a pleasant experience. So I don't know how you scale it. Um, you know, original pharmacy, our formulary books were based on someone would come in and say, I have a problem. The pharmacist would go back and customize a formula for them. And that's where my recipe books came from. But um, I don't know how, I just don't know how you scale it. Uh, I like the idea of it. There's some companies are doing it with hair, some, uh, some doing it with skincare. I just don't know how. Um, it's tough. Yeah. It's yeah. tough. It's almost like a niche uh, uh kind of product makeup and it's happening in a variety of industries, whether you mentioned ingestible. So, so both supplements as well as topicals as well as maybe food, but not so much, but then there's another level of kind of like the first line of personalization that we're seeing, you know, companies like Revive, where it's like, Hey, take, take the, the jungleness out of this. So when I walk into a CVS or a target, there's literally maybe 
I won't say thousands, but maybe there's like a hundred products that I could use for my current uh, needs and take me through a process that can narrow it down from maybe a hundred to 10. So it's like personalizing based on the SKUs and the ingredients and your, your in this case, your face or your condition or uh, soon to be vitamins and supplements as well. So right. you think that's a better mass market personalization versus, you know, having to mix up compounds for everybody? Oh, I think so. I mean, our, you know, when we, if you step inside Bigelow's, our edit, uh, you know, we look like, we call it organized chaos and we look like we have a lot of stuff, but yeah. we, we really don't. We look at every category uh, very tightly. And if we look at the hair category, what's our, what's our favorite styling brand? What's our favorite this, favorite that? And you come and you talk to the associate and, you know, she or he understands the difference between all these things and talks to the customer and has an idea of what, 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 what's good to recommend to them on a personal level. Um, so we, we think over and over assortment, as you just stated, just confuses people. Yep. Um, but big mass retailers need a lot of assortment because they, they need to make sure they have some, you know, everybody leaves with something. Um, we find someone enters to us and they trust us. Um, you know, we, we, we say we're genuine, honest, and trustworthy. They trust us. Uh, we have the, uh, you know, we have the authority and, uh, so we can make the recommendations, you know, can we add technology to that? We probably, we probably will at some point. Um, but I still think that, you know, really educated associates who are passionate, yep. um, went out, yeah, uh, went exactly. out overall. Yeah. 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 Well said the, um, the, uh, we, we try not to get too um, topical on the show here about, you know, what time of year it is because it's kind of a timeless show. People watch these episodes years from now. But uh, 2020 pandemic's not easy to uh, ignore it. And I'm sitting here. It's Amazon Prime Day. Um, God help us. We need to buy more stuff. <laughs> Got my so, Kindle today. <laughs> so I'm probably going to be doing some TV interviews soon about, you know, Black Friday and all that. And it's like it's already started. It's Black October and November and December. It's like. How, how, yeah, how's that? How's that playing for you in terms of the uh, the season, as as it will? Because it's you are a big part of that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we're as an indie retailer trying to survive in all these things that are going on. There's a lot of promotional activity going on uh, even before uh, Amazon Prime Day and Black Friday and all these things. A lot of these companies now during this time are getting very very promotional, and so customers are looking for value. And so, you know, as we're trying to work, build our web, you know, build our web business, our e-commerce business, we send out emails that normally do very well. And, mm -hmm. and maybe they don't do so well because to them, the customer is focused on what I can, what, what can, what value can I buy? Um, you know, they'll buy, they're still buying, but certain times they'll just try things because it's cheaper. Um, we've sent out emails in the past where we, we we're not, we're, you know, we're very conservative with our cash and stuff. So we, I don't have to unload things, but once in a while I'll, 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 you know, we'll have an offer on something and the reaction to the offers when it's something they don't even know what it is, is yeah. astounding to me. Cause it just, all they care about is how, you know, is it 50 off? I'm taking it. And yeah. so, um, it's hard to cut through that noise. Uh, uh, price, you know, it's a, it, price is tough. So every day is Black Friday. We got we got the countdown yeah, well, going here. <laughs> it seems it seems that way, um, but we're you know we're, we're you know we just have to you know the big don't eat the small, the fast eat the slow, so we can react and we can try to you know we're, we try, we, when everybody goes one way, this is my philosophy and everything. When everybody goes one way, we just try to go the other way, yeah. and hopefully we'll catch some. You know, that served me well over the years. Um, some advice my dad gave me. Uh, that, that sounded like some of your dad's advice you just talked about. What else? What other kinds of things did he? 
tell you about oh, as he was well, handing things off. Or, or we were, when of you were younger, like me, you probably didn't listen to him as much. But no, he rattled off a lot of stuff that I kind of went, went in one ear out the other. But I find myself even more today <laughs> quoting these things. Um, oh, he and I said one day I'm going to write a book of all these sayings. Um, you, you can't dance at two weddings with one ass. Right? Can you say that? <laughs> yeah, say <laughs> um, that. Always let the other guy do the talking because eventually he's going to stick his foot in his mouth. Um, when you're full of it, keep your mouth shut. Um, uh, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. Um, That's a good one. Never screw the guy who brought you to the dance. Um, and my, my grandfather used to say, um, if at the end of the if it, you know if at the end of the month you still have money left that you pay all your bills and you have money left over, you made money. That's right. I used to work at a company called Annexter Brothers, and that was their their cash flow uh, their policy procedure book was a little tiny manual with little cute sayings on it, and uh, co copied after a lot of books. But yeah, the cash flow page was about it. Just said you know more money needs to come in than goes out, and that was that was their philosophy. It's like that works. That works for me. I don't know. One of mine's is uh, trying to think when nothing happens. Um, no, that's the Three Stooges. But um, what um, <laughs> when you look at the uh, what, what's been your big, when did you take over as a top guy? Uh, well, I, I graduated pharmacy school in 85 and I bought my father out in 96. Wow. So maybe a couple years prior, I was starting to take and take over. Nice. So what, what, well, just buying out a family member can be the biggest challenge, but besides that, what, what, yeah. um, um, Let's talk about that on another another show. We're doing our governance talk week. Um, yeah, what's been what, what have been your biggest challenges? I guess taking because you've totally transformed this business. It's a great story. Um, so uh, two of the challenges: one, trying to run a traditional business in a modern world is a huge challenge. Um, we are uh, one of the bigger ones is that we're we are a pharmacy at our core, and it's the thing we're pretty proud of. I'm third generation pharmacist. My son is fourth. And the, pharma, the pharmacy business is the worst business ever. It's the lowest margin, highest overhead, um, and it's almost like a criminal enterprise. And people are trying to, you know, people are trying to destroy us. Um, so it's, you know, we we it's part of our ethos, it's part of our history, and then we we have to maintain that. But it's a very, very, you know, very, very difficult. And you're dealing with people's lives on a daily basis. Right. So yeah, it's all nice. I make lip gloss and shower gel and hand soap, but at the same time, I'm dealing with lots of people's lives. And a whole crew that's responsible on a daily basis. So, um, especially in stressing times like now, so that's the challenge. The finance, you know, the financial part of that is is always been difficult, um, and it requires a lot of a lot of money. Yeah, um, I bet. And, I and competing. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. and and one last thing is, you know, where the last bunch of years we've been surrounded by, you know, PE backed brands and retailers that are, you know, blowing cash out of every part of their body. And we're like, <laughs> when is this going to end? <laughs> uh, it's actually, getting, it's actually getting worse. I've just interviewed a couple on the program. They, the money in this category is interesting. Well, at least on the product side, right. not so much, not so much the retail side. So you're in a, you're in an interesting position there in terms of, are you a brand or are you a retailer? Like, yes, I am. Both, yeah. And there's all types of new business models out there that you know are going. I guess you're going to have to consider at some point when you look at the the next gen trends. You know, health and wellness, or health, beauty, and wellness. Now we're all just melding together, and and um, you know, you actually have a good foothold in that because you know, moving into supplements and things like that is is something that's in your wheelhouse because it's, you, you've got the pharmacy culture, whereas other beauty brands don't, and they're 
you know, I get asked a lot about which which way they should be going. And I'm like, what you put inside your body is just as important as what you're slapping all over your, you know, self. And it's, um, I've seen that as a big shift this year. The data seems to back it up, and uh, it's a good opportunity, you think, for uh, companies like yours. Yeah, I mean, there, there's it's been out there for a long, long time, but I think uh, over the last, as you know, six months or so, people have been more, you know, more in tune with their body and saying it's all. All of a sudden, there was a tip. I guess I can't, it's been the tipping point where yeah. it's being accepted more and more and more by people. And um, whereas supplements used to be, you know, the, the 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 earthy, crunchy thing on the on the outskirts is now becoming mainstream. And some of these brands that may have been early to the game because we've looked at it for years. Um, or all of a sudden rising to the top. I don't know, you know, I'd like to see more science. I mean, we will, we will dip our toe in there a little bit because we should be, in, we should be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how far it goes because I, you know, I'm a pharmacist. I studied medicine, you know, my life. And so I, I don't know how much of this, you know, we have to be careful that we're not proving things. We're not proving to people that these things can do more than they can actually do. Um, and I like, and big, and I always feel we have an obligation to be truthful and, um, and not to ride a wave. That's why sometimes we wait uh, right, a little right. bit. Um, and I always think we have the authority to be there. So I think if we get there late we, and we tend to be late to everything, <laughs> um, it'll be okay, but I'd like to see how it pans out. Um, because it's more and more of them coming every day. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, and they all have growth and innovation agendas, and you know that leads to product morphing. And you know, it used to be, hey, vitamin C, vitamin E, pretty much proven those out. Do, they, those do those do things, but a lot of these gummy products are are <laughs> they're just like they're like candy. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I'd like to see. I, I'd like to watch it over time and see if it if it continues to rise or or slows down a little bit. Um, you know, drinking collagen and taking things that you know they're. They're starting, and I think the FDA may wake up too one day and say, you know, slow down a little bit um, yeah. because they're really there's not a lot of regulation on claims. Right, right. Yeah, you won't see after effects till years later. Yeah. Ian, I really want to thank you for uh, being on the uh, on the program. I um, a lot of you know aspiring entrepreneurs out there, especially in the indie categories and in your sectors as well as others. Uh, any um, any advice you want to give them? Any words of wisdom? You've been through some really amazing things that have uh, given you a lot of experience i'm sure a lot of them would love to have you on you, their board but uh this is uh, this is probably the closest thing they'll get to it so yeah. um, <laughs> call me <laughs> exactly um no no I, I i meet with a lot of indie brands and and I, i'll say a few things uh one is that um you know um everybody thinks they can disrupt every business and i think that's totally cool and everybody thinks they can disrupt it you know something they can disrupt it and they don't know anything about it and i say okay and then I do meet others that, that think they can disrupt it and they don't have to know anything about it. And I think that's a little, that, that makes me a little nervous. Um, but a lot of them are only interested in, you know, I'm going to build this thing and I'm going to build it up and I'm going to sell it for, you know, for a hundred million dollars. And um, that, that's, that's my dream. And it just frustrates me running a family business for so long. Like whatever happened to wanting to build something to build it because it's something you're really passionate about and it's something you want to carry on um, and, and do some meaningful work. Um, so make sure that the passion is there. You're, you're doing it for the right reason. Um, but on the business side of it, you know, cash is king. Uh, it's very important that you manage your cash because stuff happens once in a while. You know, as Mike Tyson says, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, cash is king and, and, um, you know, be focused, know where you're going and how you're going to get there. And, um, you know, uh, I've said this before, a guy gave me great advice one time when you're doing cool things, 
um, lots of other cool people will call you to do other cool things. And he said, you should put a, you know, a, a sign on the back of your door with, this is where I'm going and this is how I'm getting there. And when someone calls you up, say, is this on that path? Um, yep. because you can get lost, you can, you can get sidetracked on the path. Um, but, um, now but more yeah, than ever, yeah, now more than ever, people need focus because the opportunities are so, so vast. There's so many things you could do and, uh, only a certain amount of time. But great things happen when it's something you really want to do for the right reasons, not because it's just a money grab. Because for all those success stories that you hear about, that you dream about, that you, you dream about before you go to sleep every night, there's about 10,000 others that went to zero that, you know, and it's, uh, you know, and, and I wake up every day and I still love what I do. And that's more to me more important than how much I'm going to sell it for 10 years from now. I love it. You've been listening to Ian Ginsberg, who is the president of CEO Bigelow. Next time you're in New York, check it out. Good seeing you. Good seeing you. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, of course. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.